0: Dear Father in heaven, we give you thanks for your word in Leviticus, even when it challenges us, especially, Lord, when it challenges us. And we pray that you would send your spirit to enlighten and illuminate our study this morning so that we better understand what you would teach us and how we can walk in your ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so go ahead and open to Leviticus 14. Start with uh, verse 33. And we're going to get into the laws for cleaning houses. Now, this is a good example of how... Uh, We talked about a few weeks ago when we first began this discussion of leprosy. I'm putting that in quotes here because um, the modern condition of leprosy uh, is not the same thing as whatever exactly it is that they're talking about in Leviticus chapters 13 and 14. We don't know exactly what it is. It's some sort of infection um, that manifests itself as a skin condition. But as we saw, it can also infect clothing and then homes um, so that it's a, a kind of mildew or something. So we still don't know exactly what it is, but suffice it to say it's some kind of scaly skin disease or infection that can also spread to inanimate objects even. Um, and so we have it here, Yeah, Hans.
1: So would today's leprosy fall into the category and this one that would be clean after? Yeah,
0: right. Good question. So you know, Hans asks, would today's leprosy fall under this category and, and some of the Well, obviously we're living in the New Testament, so we wouldn't necessarily apply the Right. law of Leviticus to it, um, but I think that it would fit under it, mm-hmm. sure, um, but it's not exclusively, it would be too narrow of a category, put it right. that way, yeah. Good, all right, so Leviticus 14, I'm not going to read all the rest of this, it's almost half the chapter is on the, the house, but I just want to read the first few verses here to give you a, a feel for what we've got going on here. So starting with verse 33 of chapter 14, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, When you come into the land of Canaan, which I give you for a possession, and I put a case of leprous disease in a house in the land of your possession, then he who owns the house shall come and tell the priest, there seems to me to be some case of disease in my house. Then the priest shall command that they empty the house before the priest goes to examine the disease, lest all that is in the house be declared unclean. I think they should have had an inspection before they purchased the house, you know. (laughs) In addition to all the other things that they evaluate, uh, yes, you have a leprous disease in here. Um, but then go down to uh, verse 43. Okay? So next paragraph. Um, if the disease breaks out again in the house, after he has taken out the stones and scraped the house and plastered it, then the priest shall go and look. And if the disease has spread in the house, it is a persistent leprous disease in the house. It's unclean. And he shall break down the house It's stones and timber and all the plaster of the house and he shall carry them out of the city to an unclean place. All right, so if you have to, knock the whole house down. Uh, But then finally, verse 53, jumping down. uh, And he shall, so you've got the sacrifices with the birds like we talked about last time, letting the live bird free. He shall let the live bird go out of the city and into the open country. So he shall make atonement for the house and it shall be clean. Make atonement for the house. The physical dwelling has almost a, a kind of spiritual properties to it from God's perspective. So number one on your handout, familiar phrase, home is where the heart is. Home is where the soul is. That it's not just some inert structure, but there's something more to it. God sees this and I wonder how have you experienced this in your own life? where your home, your house, your physical dwelling is not just, you know, four walls and a roof. At the end of the day, you know, it is that. And if it catches on fire, you know, you'll, you're going to get out of it. You're not going to stay and, and burn with it. But how have you experienced this in your life where a house is more than just a house? Do you have, yeah, Esther? Um, well,
2: mostly from my kids.
0: From your kids, yeah. Yeah, they,
2: they um, got to have Christmas at
0: home. At home. Right, Yep. and
2: uh, we're never going to sell this house. <laughs> right,
0: exactly. <laughs> How long have you been in it? Um, since
2: 1980. <laughs> since
0: 1980, so 40-plus years in that house. And yeah. Yep, yep, and so home, it, that's still where they want to have Christmas, yeah, Christmas at home. Right. Yep, that's right. Yeah, others of you? Uh, just, yeah, Sandy. Um,
2: we've moved quite a bit, yeah. and each time that we move, I notice that there's kind of a certain... Uh, point where you have to come home to that place so many times and right. I don't know what it is. Right. Then it turns into, oh, this okay, is, this home. is yeah. the sanctuary. Yeah. Yeah. And especially... Um, once pictures and things are
0: up. Yeah. You know,
3: you're familiar things. But
0: it's interesting though, like you say, it doesn't happen right away. No. It takes time and a certain number of having gone away and then coming back mm-hmm. to it. So are you there yet in your with your house? Uh, yes,
2: actually we turned that corner right around Thanksgiving.
0: There you go. Because yeah. you've been there two years? One year. A year.
2: Well, a year and a half. Year
0: and a half. And you've got stuff on the walls.
2: And we do, yeah. We that to that. me is, that's always finally, the last thing, right? We finally did
0: that. Getting yeah. stuff on the walls. That's when you know you're, you're really You're there. committed. You're committed, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, others of you, just uh, experience? I, I
2: was just going to say this is kind of the opposite of that. Well, yeah. yeah. Sometimes I have walked into somebody's house or something in some places. Yeah. And I have just felt this sense of, this is a place I don't want to stay. Right.
0: Like, this is not a place I want to be. Yes. But I want out of here. Yeah. So get me out of this place. Yep. no I, I think that this can be both a positive and a negative mm-hmm. thing and like I don't want to get too mm-hmm. you know weird about it but um, yeah, th- I think there there's something something mm-hmm. to that and um, you know it's um, it's why like homes if there's been if there was some terrible accident or a, mur- a murder in a house like mm-hmm. it's just yeah. you're not gonna how are you gonna go back into that house like um, it's interesting so um, but, yeah, go ahead, Hans.
1: Uh, when we got married, uh-huh. we were looking at lots of different houses and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And uh, we had one uh, of my my father, who was our real estate agent, mm-hmm. our father-in-law. Yeah. Uh, he goes, well, got this house, it's way out of your price range. But And we go visit it, and Connie comes back and says, that's going to be our house. Oh. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we can't afford it. <laughs>
0: She laughed at us, told us not to, not to come back. Well, mm-hmm. with the real estate agent? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The real estate agent. And what happened?
2: Her house
1: did not sell. would sell, would sell, would sell, sell. And, sell, sell, and then fine, she fine. said, well, we might take another offer for me. we offer the same thing. She took it. Ah, mm-hmm. there you go.
2: That's neat. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you just that, never know. God but what she said, it, it.
1: this is, this is going to be our house. Yeah. yeah.
0: This is like months and months and months. Right. After, and after they said, nope. Called her shot.
2: Yeah.
1: That's
0: awesome. Uh, We see this within the ministry of our Lord Jesus, too, how pivotal and central houses are. And sometimes how scandalous it could be, right, for him to enter certain houses. So um, just to think of one famous story in particular, which I alluded to in the sermon today, Luke Luke chapter 19. And I think that the the house plays a pivotal role in this uh, familiar story. Yes. So Luke 19 is the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus. So Jesus enters Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. for He was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for it is necessary die. It is necessary that I stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Yeah, Anne.
3: That also brings the meaning of house to its other meaning. Yes. Like, like line,
0: right? Yep, that's exactly right. So house has that literal physical meaning of four walls and a roof, but also the more abstract meaning of a dynasty, of a, of a line. And I think here that Jesus is being intentionally ambiguous about that. And it's, it's both. Now salvation has come to this... Wretched line, of, I mean, maybe he knows more about Zacchaeus' history, which we don't know. Maybe there, there's a whole line of, you know, defrauders in his family. But suffice it to say, it has come not just to his physical dwelling, but also to his family, to the, the Zacchaeus lineage. So it's both of those. But the, we see this, this is often the case with our Lord, that he, he's entering homes, you know, Martha and Mary, right? The table fellowship, breaking bread um, after Matthew's conversion, and so on and so forth. So,
4: Would
1: going yeah. to
0: Zacchaeus' house make him unclean? Okay, so it's a good question. Um, Hans asks, would going into Zacchaeus's house have made Jesus unclean? Uh, strictly speaking, probably not, but I think that's the way it would have been interpreted. Um, so it would, it would all depend on uh, one's perspective on Zacchaeus, how grievous a sinner he was. But from what we've read in Leviticus, there's nothing that makes me think that he would have been rendered ritually unclean per se. But we'll get at an important story later that sees very much where Jesus would have been. Yeah, go ahead, Anne.
3: Well, this, remember we talked about, didn't we talk about how Jesus, instead of becoming infected... Right.
0: No. Yes. Yes, exactly. So he has the... He reverses um, the... Positivity dominance. Yes. yes. Yeah, so psychologists talk about the negativity dominance, but he, yeah, reverses the curse, reverses that flow. So now, instead of Jesus being infected and becoming unclean, he makes the unclean clean. And anyway, we'll see more on that just in a moment. I just want to give a, a plug here too. Um, Epiphany is the uh, special time of year, but we can do this any time of year for home blessings. Okay, and this is uh, part of the wisdom of the home blessing. I'm looking around now. Some of you have uh, uh, had me do this before. Um, so this is an ancient tradition of the church to do house blessings. It goes back to the Magi. That's why the season, uh, why it's associated with the season of Epiphany. And you do the, the chalking on the doors. I guess is my graphic from last year. Um, but uh, so you have the year on the outside and then the CMB, which has dual meanings. It's an uh, uh, acronym for a Latin blessing. Christus Mancionum Benendicat. Christ bless this house. Uh, but it's also the initials of the traditional names of the three wise men. Anybody know the three wise men? Don't say that over there. Okay, so you got Caspar... Melchior and balthazar okay it's not in the Bible okay this is church church tradition, but um, it has both of those um, kind of meanings and then with the home blessing, just go from room to room, I bring my anointing oil if the homeowner is, is okay with that, and um, just uh, anoint each of the rooms and speak um, the word of God, uh, you know short scripture reading and a prayer, just go into each each room and in that way, sanctifying the home to god's purposes so you know, if, you have, if you've had um, some kind of calamity in the home, I think it's a good time to do it. If you've done home renovations or anything like that, it might be a good time to do a uh, house blessing. Or, or just annually, even. You know, you can re-up. Um, so, <laughs> something to keep in mind. I'll be putting announcements out in the next couple of weeks. But, uh, again, you can do it any time of year, but Epiphany is just a natural time to kind of do it. It's a slower time, too. So, got, got time for home blessings. Good. All right. Okay, let's go to Leviticus chapter 15 now, because I know you're dying to talk about bodily discharges. <laughs> Pastor, can we just dig right in here? All right. Leviticus 15. Oh, yes. Before you
1: run, the... Would like black mold be yes. what they were talking about? Yeah, exactly. Like, so black
0: mold. Or whatever. This guy, yeah, exactly. That's the kind of stuff that I think would have been regarded as you know, what they're talking it's about there. It's growing back. Yeah, you've got back. a leprous disease in the house. And uh, yeah. Or, you know, if you have, like if you hear a voice that says, get out, you know, <laughs> that would be another one. Yeah, well, I have to Yeah, right, exactly. you got a poltergeist. Your house is buried on an Indian burial ground or built on an Indian burial ground. Mm-hmm. All right, Leviticus 15. All right, how much of this do I want to read? I think I need to read some of it just so we can get a, get a good feel for what we've got, gotten ourselves into here. <clears throat> the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when any man has a discharge from his body, his discharge is unclean. And this is the law of his uncleanness for a discharge. Whether his body runs with his discharge or his body is blocked up by his discharge, it is his uncleanness. Every bed on which the one with the discharge lies shall be unclean, and everything on which he sits shall be unclean. And anyone who touches his bed shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And whoever sits on anything on which the one with the discharge has sat shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean till the evening. And whoever touches the body of the one with the discharge shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean till the evening. And if the one with the discharge spits on someone who is clean, then he shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And any saddle on which the one with the discharge rides shall be unclean. And whoever touches anything that was under him shall be unclean until the evening. And whoever carries such things shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. All right, it goes on in this in this kind of vein. Um, but really, um, what's significant is a couple of things. I want to point out the structure of this chapter. And then I'll I'll double back and go into some some of the sections of it. So uh, there's a significant structure to the chapter as a whole. It really has five parts. So the section we were just reading from focuses on abnormal male discharges. Uh, Then there's a brief section on normal male discharges. Then at the center, verse 18, speaks of sexual intercourse. Then you have normal female discharges and abnormal, uh, that should say female, uh, discharges. Okay? So the chiastic structure comes from the Greek word chi, chi and so a chi, is, a chi is an x, okay? So chiastic is that you kind of have these two parts and then it all is centered um, toward the middle. So we tend to think of the most important thing is going to be at the beginning, right? In an article in the newspaper, you've got the lead, but the most important thing in the middle. But with a chiastic structure, the most important thing is not at the beginning nor at the end, but it's right there in the middle. So this structure of the chapter is pointing us toward the most important thing that it has to say, and really the reason that God has even taken this up, is with respect to sexual intercourse. Okay, now, um, More on this presently, but um, I want to just kind of um, touch on each of these sections so you can kind of see. So the next section then, first there's the abnormal male discharges, and then you've got 16 and 17 normal male discharges. If a man has an emission of semen, he shall bathe his whole body in water and be unclean until the evening. And every garment and every skin on which the semen comes shall be washed with water and be unclean till the evening. Okay, skip verse 18, go down to 19. When a woman has a discharge and the discharge in her body is blood, she shall be in her menstrual impurity for seven days. Okay, this is part of the normal female discharges. But then the abnormal male discharges starting in verse 25. female, thank you, if a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, not at the time of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond the time of her impurity, all the days of the discharge, she shall continue in her uncleanness. Okay? So you have those four parts, and then at the... how do you
5: know that the the first part is an abnormal male discharge? I don't see
0: where it says abnormal, or it says it's different than the other ones. Right. So I guess... um, when it says, any man has a discharge from his body. So a discharge. What is a discharge? <laughs> exactly, right? <laughs> wait, wait for that question. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I, so I, I, uh, the impression that we get from this is that it's talking about discharges, unless it is specifies the, the kind of a discharge, that it's something abnormal. It's outside of the, the normal flow of things, you might say. Um, so, but I'm, I mean, I'm, it's a good question. I'm kind of building off of what the, the commentators have to say about this. But I think that's the, the way that we would look at it, is that it's, um, if we're talking about a, a discharge that you're having, and it's other than the, you know, most normal kind of discharge, then it must be something, something's wrong.
5: Is there anything that's leaving your body? What's that? Is there any, is there any fluid from your body that's leaving your, your that's, body? That's
0: generally what a discharge means. Yeah, exactly. So it could be an infection. It could be related to genitalia, but it, it seems like it's beyond, it's larger than that. Okay, could be, um, be snot or mucus. Could be it could be yeah mucus uh, pus. Yeah. I mean oh this is great. Like, this is, it, is, it, is,
5: is it going to the bathroom though? I, I think in some cases, Chip. Like ones I and twos. I'm, I'm just <laughs> I'm, I'm just curious. I mean, like, like just if, you know. I mean, are you unclean if you
0: if you go to the bathroom? No. So that's not it's not talking about yeah it's not talking about going to the to the bath.
2: That's not yeah. abnormal.
0: Yeah. Is it a normal male discharge going I don't think that would be regarded as a discharge. Okay. That's, yes. I know you wanted more detailed questions. Exactly. Like a bloody a stool, stool uh, uh, you're saying. perhaps a bloody stool. Yeah, to answer uh, yes, question. Yes, right. Um, oh, wow. But blood, I mean, blood and that is not a normal creation of blood, I think, would be considered in this. So, yes. You don't need pictures, you don't need graphics. <laughs> Right, exactly. Even, As a matter of fact, you have got a lot of technology to use. <laughs> you could have used that. Oh my word! Okay. Um, here, but here's where I want to let's let's reel back in a little bit, and and reflect on that that structure and that chiasm. That it all centers on verse 18. Then, if a man lies with a woman and has an emission of semen, both of them shall bathe themselves in water and be unclean until the evening. Okay. Now. Um, couple things to say about this. First of all, what this is kind of underscoring and the whole focus and why it's even talking about the discharge is because God's first purpose of sex is procreation. Okay? And so these are all ways in which this, the procreative act is somehow compromised because of some abnormality of dealing with the body or how to deal with the normal functioning that's associated with reproduction okay? and procreation. This is God's fundamental purpose. Um, and I have we don't need to, to go there right now. But Genesis 9 reiterates God's initial charge to Adam and Eve be fruitful and multiply. Okay? So that's not um, abrogated by the fall. God reiterates it to Noah and subsequent creatures, still in force today. Be fruitful and multiply. Okay? This is God's design that cre- uh, procreation is fundamental to our humanity. But there's more going on here, too. And this is what number three on your handout God preempts corruptions of sexuality. He's preempting corruptions of sexuality. What do I mean by that? For this we need some cultural context and a historical context of what's going on in this time in the world and in this area in which the Israelites find themselves. And to reflect on that, we can ask this question, well, why is sex regarded as unclean according to Leviticus 15 here? There's different reasons that are given. One is that it's uh, the morbidity answer, in other words, the loss of life fluid, i.e. semen, is associated with death. Okay. Um, second answer that's given is a hygienic one. So you know, the member that is used in a... a uh, uh, that's mentioned, referenced here, is both life-giving and an agent of unclean disposal, i.e. urination. Okay. So that's a, a hygienic reason that's given. But uh, John Kleinig points out that really what's at issue here is it's a religious See, mm-hmm. the pagan neighbors uh, surrounding Israel practiced ritual sex with so-called sacral prostitutes, okay? And perhaps you're familiar with the idea of fertility gods. And, Chip, I did consider putting up some pictures of ancient fertility gods that have been found, but I thought that that was not appropriate for this group. And if you want to Google it later, you do so at your own risk, okay? <laughs> really some graphic crazy stuff, but... I assume that's not, you're not... This is I not... I like the <laughs> kitty. <a, laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, but there was, uh, because there was this notion that the gods, that the way that they created was similar to how humans created and procreated, and so the a way of worshiping was through having sex in the sacred place, in the sanctuary, in the temple, okay, and there were prostitutes that were specifically appointed for this Purpose, okay? They're just like prostitutes would be at any time, except they had this sacred. It, it made it a sacred act. This was your act of worship right there in the sanctuary in the temple. Yeah, and
3: they may not have been voluntary.
0: And they may not have been voluntary. Exactly, they may have been conscripted. I mean, whether you're talking about um, young young girls and so forth. So um, this was a, a source of not only um, gross, you know, physical abuse in that way, but also injustice. There's so many ways in which God wants to ensure that this does not happen among his people. Okay? So by rendering sex unclean, um, it basically puts in this tripwire right in there where you couldn't possibly have your sacral prostitutes because this is it's showing by its very nature it's desacralizing. Okay? Now this does not mean unclean to add unclean does not mean sinful per se. There, are some, there can be overlap there, but it's not necessary, not necessarily the case. And uh, God is not saying, oh well sex is inherently sinful, but it's unclean. It's part of the common realm of humanity. It's, it can be good and blessed when within um, the, the, sec, the marriage covenant. Um, but God wants to shortcut any notion that you're going to fall into the same pattern, abusive pattern of your pagan neighbors when it comes to sexuality. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So I think, and this is Kleinig's uh, explanation interpretation, and that to me makes the most sense. There might be some aspect of those other parts of it, the hy- hygiene and so forth, but I think fundamentally it's a religious rationale why it is that God uh, gives them this directive. Okay? yeah, Go uh, ahead.
1: The, you know, you're, you're talking about Jesus's time, you know, Einstein... Uh-huh. But if you go back to uh, let's say Abraham, you know Isaac and yeah. Jacob, Jacob's son has the episode with Tamar. Yes. Yeah. And it's like it's like, would you go back and say, where's the prostitute? I need to go pay the prostitute. If it was not, you know, if you're looking for this prostitute after the right didn't, you know, gave him to the, the staff. No yes. Right. promised a cap or whatever. Yeah. Right. But it's like, you know, was there a stigma along with that? that is, yeah, for
0: sure. And would you go
1: into the town and say, hey, I, I, I lost the prostitute out here. Well,
0: okay. <laughs> oh, so would there be a stigma for the prostitute herself or for the... For the guy. For right? the guy. No, I don't think so. Yeah. Okay. No, I mean, um, not, certainly not in the way there would be today. Right. But, um, no, it had effectively been elevated to this kind of spiritual and religious... I mean, there's that old joke, I don't know if it's a joke, but statement that prostitution is the oldest profession, right, I mean, this goes back a long, long Long time, and in part, it's because of that religious dynamic, the way that it was utilized among other religions in the ancient Near East, so, yeah. Um, I want to just reflect briefly, we don't need to spend a lot of time on this because we could start bemoaning things, but you know, you think about, okay, people don't do that exactly in our world today, but, what are some other ways that sexuality is corrupted in our contemporary culture how how are are there still I and mean, there's countless ways that still we want as Christians we want to be you know uh, insulated from the way of the, of the world we want to um, be set apart in these things but what are there things that come to mind in particular? maybe you watch New Year's Eve anybody watch New Year's Eve? <laughs> exactly just shaking your head like I mean Maybe that would be one way to put it. It's just the hypersexualization of everything, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's w- I, the way that women, especially, obviously, are objectified. Um, and I, yeah, yeah. Sorry, Go ahead. but
3: the opposite of that is also true. We've fallen off on both sides of the horse. as sort of the de-sexualization. De-sexual- yeah. Right. Where like children aren't even thought of very much anymore as. The creatures who need our our first care sure our first you know our first priority yeah right and and as I mean you see you know in our own area the hospital doesn't deliver the babies anymore because there's just not as many babies sure yeah right people just aren't yeah following that directive
0: yeah a big it's group like, multiplier. it's
3: not a priority yeah children are not a priority and if that's the main you know, if that's our first purpose, of, if mm-hmm. that's our first directive from God, that's been corrupted.
0: Yeah, no, that's a good point. I mean, and um, just so you have the decoupling of, of sex from marriage, and then within marriage, among married couples, not um, not having babies. Now, of course, there's always um, instances where people just aren't able to do, but um, I'm not, yeah.
3: I'm not, I'm not talking about that. Okay. I mean, I'm not. I'm not like just casting aspersions on. Okay. You know. Yeah. But I don't. I think there's too many people who. That's not the case for
0: them, and sure. just, that's just not a priority. Sure. Yeah. Fair. Other thoughts or re- reflections on this? I mean, I think it's it's one of these things. Yeah. Go ahead, on. I was going to say,
1: uh, off advance,
0: advance, the uh, there
1: was a shame to not. You know, you look yeah. at um, Zacharias uh, yeah. and John to the not Black. having children, right? Right, to That's being barren. That. So that was a, like a
0: shame. right? That
1: you know, it was, you can't even hang, you know. Yes. You go home public because you're.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well and I thought what I thought you were going to say at first, and uh, maybe related to this, would be there was there's also been shame around sexuality with um, you know whether it was you know, having a child out of wedlock, right? Something like this. Um, or just other other way, other sins of, of the body, which we tend to um, have in a, a separate kind of category almost. And there's a, a one biblical reason, we'll actually look at that passage later, um, but that it's somehow viewed as like more grievous or less able to be forgiven or something like that. Um, whereas, you know, this is also, uh, when it comes to sexual sin, that's, just as well under the banner of Christ's forgiveness as, you know, as anything else. If
5: there was stuff from uh, Kara Powell, the researcher out of Fuller Institute, where she did, where it's like a lot of, uh, especially young women who had sex out of wedlock thought, who were Christian, thought, well, now I'm damaged goods. And I right. can never be redeemed from this. So yeah. they leave the church, they you don't know, like they're yep. like because mm-hmm. of that. Sort of stigma. Well, of course, it was, it's there for a reason, right? You sure. shouldn't have sex out of woodlock but it was unredeemable.
0: Yes. Uh, right. Uh, sin, yep. you know, so. And yeah, exactly. And so, and that I think is perpetuated by um, what has sometimes been called like a purity culture within the church of you know making this really like elevating that as like this is this one thing you know that you should not do. Don't have sex outside marriage. And if you do that, then you're just like, chips damaged goods. That's it. Yeah, you're beyond the pale. Yeah.
2: Oh, the other area of perversion, you know, like homosexuality. Sure. uh, Transgender stuff, you know, changing your identity from what you were from birth. Right. I mean, there's just so much blurred lines nowadays.
0: Yeah, I think uh, blurred lines is a good way of putting it, and just a lot of confusion. Because when you live in a, a society which is on the one hand kind of hyper-sexualized but on the other hand doesn't have a, a robust sense of what does it even mean to be a man, to be a woman, to have a, a, a clear view of, of womanhood or masculinity where you know if we have any idea of it it's like fed to us from situation comedies and this sort of thing where oh to be a, a guy, to be a dad is just to be the oaf, to do, 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 sit on the couch, you know drink beer, watch BoobTube. Um, and so I think all of these things kind of coalesce into just that general sense of confusion and unclarity about it. Yeah. So I mean, this Leviticus 15 is still relevant in that respect, uh, <laughs> but uh, certainly the biblical witness more more generally uh, is so vital on this on this point. Yeah.
4: I think there's a certain danger. It, it seems it just it, there's a certain danger in. Thinking this is the first time that this sort of confusion sure. has occurred. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it, this confusion was first talked about in Genesis. Yeah, I mean, it and it goes. It has gone in cycles, greater and lesser, right. Greater and lesser, and societies have reacted to it. Sometimes abruptly. Yeah. Sometimes violently. Sure. Sometimes, and uh, it, it, it it's just. I I think if so much today, our society tends to think some of these things that are occurring are the first times they've ever. Sure. You know, the sky is falling. Right. Right. Well, it's not. Right. You know, it's been going on for since the beginning of
0: time. Sure. Mm -hmm. So that's that's good. I I would expect you to bring the historical perspective to Bill. (laughs) So that's good. Um, that, That it is. I mean, nothing nothing new under the sun. I think um, if I would maybe build on that just a little bit, I think what is new is especially our technologies and our media that are able to accelerate these things and um, really, you know, spreading, whether it be spreading viewpoints or whatever, that that is is at a more mass scale, I guess. Yeah. Is is that,
2: does that have a a parallel with the Tower of
0: So uh, Sandy's enough. question is, does that have a, t- a parallel with the Tower of Babel? We'll Say more about that.
2: Well, God had to confuse the language mm-hmm. because the power of coming together with so many voices yeah. was an overwhelming power. Yeah, right. We're seeing that with media. Yeah,
0: with media. right. Oh, that's a really interesting uh, connection there. So, you know, with, with Babel and God uh, confuses the languages because they're using their power coming together um, to run counter to him. And so is some of that confusion even kind of God-ordained in a way? Uh, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I, I think that, um, I don't know, I, I, it's something to, to chew on. That's, yeah, I but I, it is certainly the case that our, our media and just the way that globally we're able to, you know, share thoughts and ideas. But that can also lead to, you know, uh, just people coming together, rushing to a certain massive rebellion. Massive rebellion. Yeah, chip.
5: It seems weird though that um, uh, almost every cult yeah. um involves sex in some sort of mm, way. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's something powerful about yeah. sex yeah. that and even Chris, I just listened to a podcast, it's called Nice Try and they're going through different <laughs> utopias. Yeah. And one was Oneida, which is the Civil War books, right? So it started by Civil War? Uh, Civil War you know, like, oh, flatware, yeah. flat Oh, yeah, yeah. Silverware, yeah. Right, in Silver war. War. yeah. No, not Civil war, Civil war, but this is like in the 1820s anyways. And so it started by this guy, i think quick, was a, I think a Ivy League Divinity School guy, and he got involved in a movement, what they are called, is like the perfectness type thing, where yeah. you could become basically perfect and not really sin. Hmm. And, but somehow part of that was uh, sex was a, base, a way to like recharge your your sanctifiedness, your brokenness, uh, of yeah. course, right, right? Why not, you know? And so uh, and so they started to, so sex was elevated within that group, and then of first started to have sex with right. each other, and so they were called complex uh, marriages, which were like, it's basically like right. two, in a like 100 people. in yeah. a huge house oh in upstate New York where they were all having sex together, and of course it went horribly wrong. Um, but they, um, but it just seemed like, Christians too have often not sure. not maybe the Orthodox, but the, yeah. the you know the cults always involve sex. They yeah. Always make it some weird thing. Right, right. Like it's just weird. Yeah, I mean, I don't well, know. And,
4: and to spin off of that, the the corollary was the Shakers. I mean, the Shakers were a reaction to that. Right. So it, the men and the women were yeah. segregated. Right. Sex was horrible. Yeah. Could right. not have, You know. So there have been those kinds of. Right. back and point forth. Point back and yeah. forth in one form or another.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, and the Seventh-day Adventists <laughs> believed that eating meat inflamed the passions, and that's ah. one of the reasons for the vegetarianism.
0: Hmm. But that
2: 18, that 1840s, 20s, 30s, yeah. 40s era produced a lot of
0: yeah. crazy. of interesting movements. <laughs> right. So, yes, so I... This is not this is not new, and so in that respect, um, good for us, I guess. Misery loves company, um, but it, it does certainly still um, call for discernment uh, and how to, what it looks like for us to be faithful in this moment. But I do want to then say, and this is um, apropos what we we're talking about too. God also removes the shame surrounding sexuality, because you know, if on the one hand. Um, that can be indulged in and abused too much, it can also become a source of, of shame, right? Where people aren't able to talk about it, and Christian people and so forth. And um, I think one of the ways that God does this is just by normalizing normal stuff, right? It's the kind of stuff that uh, is just like our reaction, right? It's, kind of, it's disgusting, it's gross, who wants to talk about that? Um, but God normalizes it, and brings it within the realm of divine experience. Remember what, that quote that I gave you in our first um, study here from Leviticus where uh, the theologian Stanley Hauerwas says something to the effect of, you know, um, any God who won't tell you what to do with your pots and pans and genitals isn't worth worshiping, right? <laughs> um, and uh, this is, you know, God's showing, this is part of the human experience and this is part of what it means to live as my people isn't it just so gross that, oh, this couldn't have any, you know, um, relationship to your relationship with me. But it, that too is brought under it. As well as, then in those abnormal sorts of things, there's a way to be restored and to be brought back into it. So you don't become a pariah and be left out perpetually. At least the, the provisions are there, but still, from a Levitical perspective, it could still be quite punitive. And that's where... Jesus comes along and builds on that on a, more, a compassionate view of the, of the outsider. So let's go to the famous story that you know probably already came to your mind um, with what we read here. Go to Matthew chapter nine, and uh, Matthew does something here. Uh, Mark does this more often, um, where two. Stories, two instances, are kind of sandwiched together. And similar to like the chiasm, um, the question is when you see a story like this is what is the significance of the sandwich, as it were? Why, the, why, is these, why are these stories brought together, coupled together? Think about that um, as we read here in Matthew 9, verses 18 through 26. <clears throat> While Jesus was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him saying, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I'll be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. Instantly, the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, "Go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping." And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went through all that district. Okay, so you have this story of the woman with the uh, discharge of blood for twelve years. So first of all, let's just think about this woman's experience and as a result of this perpetual bleeding for a dozen years what other ramifications and consequences were in her, were there in her life
2: she would like
0: a leper she would have been like a leper effectively right exactly unclean okay so then what does that mean what are some other things that follow from that you you can't go to worship okay so you're not you're not going to have that certainty of your atonement of having your <coughs> sins be forgiven what else Spent all her money basically trying to get well. She's been blood dry, pardon the pun, of just trying to get well, of using all of her her money up, trying to find doctors, somebody to to care for. Can't do it. Yeah.
1: Well, when I said synagogue, I wasn't referring to the worship part. The synagogue was
0: uh, the community. There's community side of it too, exactly. You you can't go to any potlucks. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. No potlucks. (laughs) Right, so that loss of fellowship. I mean, so she... She is suffering all these different aspects. Yeah, yeah. Is
3: it possible that the only doctors or physicians who would have treated her would be quacks? Because yeah. she had been so outside of...
0: Sure. Yeah. So she's probably... Uh, yeah, I think it's that's a fair conjecture that she would have been going to uh, the less reputable doctors, right? And just anybody, especially after the years wore on. Maybe at first she was able to see some people, but... Was unsuccessful, and then you know she's just going to see anyone and everyone who will take her. Yeah.
3: And then there's the idea that if you're suffering from this, you must deserve
0: it. So you must deserve it, right? Exactly. So just that sense: of what have I done wrong? Why am I suffering in this way? Why has this happened to me? I mean, there's so many aspects but to it. She's a woman, and she's well, and you absolutely
2: cannot have children
0: or oh, yeah. any of those. Yeah, rights? you can't have children. You're not getting married. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. How are you, you can't, clothes, right? I mean, just very practical stuff. Like, oh, it's just awful to think about. She's Um, scraping to get by. Yes, she's scraping to get by. But what does Jesus do? This is a classic example, again, of Jesus' positivity dominance. Of Jesus comes and, well, she touches him first, right? But he's not, he didn't turn around and say, hey, gosh, cooties, get away from me. But instead, it says uh, in the other gospels, he felt the power go out from him. Did you say
5: in the other gospel, who, who is it that yeah. touched me? Who is it? who is it that touched me? They're like, right? how, Jesus, uh, there are tons of people touching you. Right, uh, you, you're in a crowd.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. We're in a mosh pit here. But um, Jesus wants the woman to identify herself, right? Wants to, her to be able to say, it's me, and for her then to have that, that healing. Go ahead, Anne.
3: I don't know about any other gospels, but this telling makes it possible that she heard him agree to go and heal a little girl.
0: Hmm. Right.
3: And I think that makes a difference.
0: So maybe she hears that and thinks.
3: If he's willing to hear a little, heal a little girl, right. a little girl. Right. Right? Yeah. Which, I mean, does everybody care that a little girl is sick and maybe died? Yeah. Apart from the, her family? Right. I, I, I don't know.
0: Yeah, so maybe it just gives her another glimpse into his character, into who he is. Um, I've read another interesting take on this. I'll throw this out to you. Why it is that she, um, she, she said, said to herself, if only I touch his garment, I'll be made well. Um, or elsewhere it says the fringes of his garment. Um, so you may be familiar with like the, the, the Jewish um, garment that he would have worn, the prayer, prayer shawl kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And it had the tefillim. The tefillim were like the fringes on the edge of the garment. Um, but it was the same word for those as was used for Wings. Okay, it's like the wings of the garment, and there's that scripture from I believe it's Malachi chapter four. Uh, uh, there's there's healing in his wings. There's healing in his wings, and so um, I've read that there was a belief about the Messiah that even uh, from the wings, the fringes of his garment, that even to touch that, if he's the Messiah, you could be healed and made well. So that might have been also part of her her thinking too. It's like okay, if if he is who I think he is, just to touch his his uh, tefillin will make me well. And sure enough, it does. So let's think then, um, as I say, it's kind of sandwiched between this healing of the young girl. What would be the connection there? I mean, there's that side of it that Anne mentioned of just that sense of seeing his character, his, his, the compassion of Christ. But... Would she have
2: been about the same age as the length of her illness?
0: Would she have been about the same age as the length of her illness? In other words, was this a 12-year-old girl? Yeah. Well, probably not. So I think... It, it may have started when her period started. So maybe she's, you know, early 20s, something like that. Um, but a, a t- No, I mean the, the little
2: girl that
0: was healed. The little girl that was healed, okay. It,
2: that there's a parallel between how long she was
0: healed. Oh, yes, I think, right. Yes, right. So um, I think that's right. Does it say it here? I think in the other Gospels it may say that, that the, that the little girl is 12 years old. And so you have that, yeah, that so that's, parallel. That's right. Well, I mean, I think, again, this is part of the connection that it's making, is that all the things that we've seen with this woman is that she was experiencing a kind of death. Right? She was, she was effectively the walking dead. Um, but just as Jesus brings to life this girl who had died, so he restores life to this woman who had lost pretty much everything in her life. He says, now you, you uh, take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well then go away, for the girl is not dead but sleeping. There's also that side of it, too, where, of course, to touch a dead body also would have rendered Jesus unclean normally. But once again, he's able to reverse that flow of uncleanness and restore life there. Yeah, Yeah, go
4: ahead.
3: Um, Would this continual touching of the unclean be one of the charges that the Pharisees would have against him? Yeah,
0: for sure. So, I mean... The question is, would this, would this have been one of the charges the Pharisees would have had against him, this continual touching of the unclean? For sure. I mean, Matthew 9 would be a case in point of not only do you have Jesus um, touching this woman and helping the little girl, but then um, earlier, right before this in the chapter, was the um, call of Matthew, Right? And they're grumbling because, again, he's going into the house. He's dining with a guy that they would have regarded as as unclean. So I think, you know, back to the Zacchaeus thing, too. It probably would have been viewed that kind of uh, way. Um, So, yeah, I mean, all of that is kind of factoring into as they're building their case against him. Okay, so this is just such a beautiful expression of the mercy of our Lord and what his ultimate aim is in restoring God's good creation.
1: Just... Yeah, go ahead, Hans. Um, it talks about Jesus saying that she's not dead, she's sleeping. Right. Touching a sleeping body wasn't. A,
0: yeah. A, a, that's not an issue, right. Was she really dead? Of course she
1: was. She in a coma.
0: Oh, right. You know, type of a thing where yeah. you. you know, no, she's she dead. She dead. Well, yeah. But true. it's. it's the, yeah, go ahead. But the thing is, when, you're, um, when you
2: die, your spirit is still alive. And so in that way, you're asleep.
0: Well, and yeah. Your
2: spirit is with the Lord. And this is, I mean, this is the
0: very much at the heart of a biblical view of, of the end times and of our future hope is that uh, death is not the end. It's a sleep, it's a rest, and you'll be awakened. Yeah.
4: I, I don't have a count on this, but it, there is a quantitative aspect, I think, to this. Jesus is very indiscriminate in yeah. who he helps right? men or women. Sure. Uh, whereas so much of the Bible before now highlights m- the male place. I mean, mm-hmm. there are women who participate, but in this case, he's, he's, he's open to anybody. For uh, sure. They're, they're on equal footing.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, so I think so that this was, is—
4: What this does, then, mm-hmm. here are two cases to add to that quantity yeah. of, of cases. I mean, uh,
0: just off the top of my head— I dare say he's helping women even more than, than men. Um, certainly throughout his ministry, that was one of the things that, um, while his, his disciples and his, his center core are all men, it's clear that the ministry is open to, uh, that his care and his compassion are for all people. right? Yeah. He's not going to limit that. Now I would say in defense of the Old Testament and of Leviticus, um, that structure of it the, the, and the chiastic structure that in itself kind of underscores the fact that, I mean, what you would have expected is just an emphasis on the women and all the ways that the you know, women, they're the ones that have to deal with the period. They're the ones that are uh, get unclean from this kind of stuff. But it doesn't just say that. It puts the, the men in there, too. And so um, I think that there is that, if I can put it this way, democratic perspective. Um, it's not, uh, it's not a, a, a sexist kind of thing. Certainly by Jesus' time, I think that there was, there was more ways in which um, and had become more patriarchal in a um, more destructive way. But there's nothing inherently, as you know, people would sometimes say today, there's nothing inherently toxic about patriarchy or masculinity or what have you. It's all about what's done with it, right? And uh, anyway, but I, your point is well taken that Jesus has a special um, care and compassion for the outsider. And in that day and place, that would have included women for sure. I want to conclude with this just how Leviticus 15 really provides a theology of sexuality in a way—it's not you can't get it just from this chapter—but I think it helps to contribute, I should say, uh, helps to contribute to a larger theology of sexuality from the scriptures. And even something like, as John Clowney points out, that the most significant feature of this legislation in Leviticus 15 is that it doesn't locate the source of genital impurity in either of the sexes or in their sexual organs. People don't generate impurity. It's something extrinsic to them and their sexual (laughs) organs, an invasive and infective power. Sex is a good gift of God It's meant to be celebrated and um, practiced within the the context of the marriage covenant that's ordained and oriented toward procreation, but also toward the the companionship, the bringing together of husband and wife. And uh, Leviticus 15 is elsewhere. We see how God has that care and understands why this is a good gift um, that's meant to be received with, with gratitude and faithfulness. So, all right. Good. good. Thanks, guys, for your participation bearing with us. Not gross. It's, it, it, can be, it can be a really good thing. But next week, and I think we'll probably spend two weeks in Leviticus 16, which is the most important chapter in the whole book, on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, and all uh, that uh, surrounds that. So, you can look forward to that. If, I would encourage you to read that ahead of time if you get a chance. And uh, yeah, we'll see you then.